Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This message is from our Pictures of Christ Sermon Series, which walks through the Old Testament and looks at the similarities and differences between Christ and many of the most important people in the Old Testament. We hope that this message will be a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Things Exodus chapter 11, uh, Dustin's group kind of hit on it about the judgment coming. The Bible tells us that uh, the Passover was really God's judgment upon Egypt, and we know that Jesus Christ, while he is God's salvation upon the world, that he also uh, is going to escort in God's judgment. And when he comes back, there's going to be that, and you see the similarity that uh, Dustin's group brought out, there's going to be a lot of weeping, like there was in that day of judgment. Uh, even so, when Christ returns, there's going to be a lot of weeping. That's Exodus chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. Talks a lot about that. Exodus chapter 12. Let me just give you real quick a number of similarities. Verse number 1, Passover, it brings new life. Uh, Jesus, he's our Passover, and he brings new life. Verse 3 through 6, there's all of the lamb comparisons. We'll see some of those in a second. Verse number 7, the blood, even if you slaughtered the lamb, uh, and you didn't apply the blood, the death of the lamb meant nothing. Even so it is with Jesus Christ. The death of Christ means nothing in your life unless you apply him, unless you receive Jesus Christ. And that's Exodus uh, 12, verse seven. Uh, Exodus 12, verse number eight, talk about consuming the lamb, that Christ must be consumed. John six, Jesus said uh, that you will have no part of me unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He wasn't talking about physically, he was talking about that spiritual uh, salvation he had to offer. Uh, verse number eight also talks about eating with the bitter herb herbs and unleavened bread. I'll talk about a similarity there in just a second. Verse nine, uh, that the uh, lamb had to be roasted. That was actually a picture of the crucifixion. The crucifixion would be a picture of the roasting of the lamb in Exodus 12. Uh, verse number 10, the lamb only had to die once. They didn't have to do this that, that night. They'd have to do it multiple times. It only had to take place once. Same thing with Jesus. His death and resurrection only had to happen once. Verse number 11, they give the proper way to eat the lamb. And um, we see some similarities in the New Testament, the proper way to receive Christ. Verses 12 through 13, judgment is coming. Whoever doesn't apply Jesus or the blood will be, will be put to death. And same thing in the New Testament. And then verse 14, that uh, it was going to be a memorial, Exodus 12, 14, that it's a memorial of the coming of Christ. And of course, we can look at the fact that Jesus did come and now we look back, not at his coming, but we look forward to his second coming and uh, to the return of Christ. So there's a lot there. <clears throat> but let me give you real quick, I'm gonna give you some deeper ones, okay? That was just brief going through that. So here's where we're gonna really get in some thoughts. Uh, Jesus, he's called that lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover lamb was one who took away the sin of, of the people to be uh, um, not reconciled or brought together with Egypt. Let me give you this. The lamb was to be killed and the blood covering the house for the saving of those within. Christ's blood had to be shed and his blood has to be applied to anyone who would be saved uh, as well. The lamb was to be roasted with fire, which signifies the manner of Christ's death, the crucifixion. No bone was to be broken. And Jesus Christ, the Bible says, had no bone that would be broken. The blood of the lamb was to be saved in a basin. It must not be shed upon the ground nor trodden underfoot, signifying the preciousness of Jesus Christ's blood. The blood of the lamb had to be sprinkled upon the lintels and the sides of the doors of the Israelites, 
And it talks about Jesus Christ's blood having to, having to be sprinkled uh, for our sins. They were to eat the flesh of the lamb to signify that we must spiritually feed upon Christ. We talked about that a second ago. Oh, the bitter herbs. They had to eat it with bitter herbs to signify, and this is interesting, signify that repentance and godly sorrows for sin aren't always a good thing to us. I mean, people don't like admitting being wrong. Do, uh, wives, do your husbands ever like admitting wrong? No. But as Christians, we never like admitting wrongdoing. Them eating with that bitter herbs represents that repentance that it's, man, the, the, the sacrifice and the bitter herbs have to go together. Repentance and receiving Christ has to go together. And uh, <clears throat> some good thoughts with that. They had to eat it with unleavened bread. That unleavened bread representing, of course, uh, the, that which is perfect, and Jesus Christ is perfect. They had to eat it in their remembrance of the deliverance out of Egypt, and so those who come to the true Passover ought to remember how God hath by Christ's blood delivered them from wrath and from hell. And then the last one that I have, and this is super interesting, they were to eat it with their loins gird, their staves in their hand, and their shoes on their feet. This shows that we who uh, feed or feast upon our Passover should also have the girdle of truth, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, but we are strangers and pilgrims in this land. And there's just so many similarities when you go through, and I think I counted um, from, from our study, it was 25, but there was, there was two more mentioned that I didn't even think about. So that's 27 that we saw. And uh, so it's interesting when you look through that, how many similarities there are, and it all is just about pointing to Jesus, all right? Now, all that really doesn't have anything to necessarily do with the message, just a little bit of our study, but I want us to do three things tonight. I want us to look at this and understand, when you and I think of the Passover, I want it to, uh, in my life, I want it to remind me of three things specifically. Three things that I think if you and I would let the Passover remind us of, we will always think of Christ and it's always gonna bring joy to us when we think about the Passover and kind of goes along with some of our thoughts about the Lord's table, but tonight I wanna be challenged with this. When we think of the Lord's Passover, excuse me, when, he, when we think of the Passover, we should be reminded first off of Christ's sacrifice. All right, it's number one on your handout. Be reminded of Christ's sacrifice. <clears throat> when you go to the Passover, I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn to Exodus 12. <clears throat> Exodus 12, and I'm just gonna read the first 13 verses of Exodus 12 so that we all can kind of be on the same page. Uh, some might be wondering what, what exactly was the Passover? What are we talking about? <clears throat> Exodus chapter 12, the Lord is giving instructions to Moses and to Aaron. The last part of chapter 12 is where they give that to the people. Verse number one, it says, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. The Passover was a new beginning, just like Christ is for us. Good thought there. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth month of this day, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next, to, next unto his house take it according to the number of souls." Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. 
And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, when you look at the Passover, it was the sacrifice of a lamb. <clears throat> I want to give you just a couple of thoughts about this. There was a, a lot of preparation that had to be made for this sacrifice, but the sacrifice I want us to kind of look at just for a moment is that lamb. The lamb was giving, the lamb was giving his life for the household. And when you think about the Passover and all of that, that lamb uh, really had to give up his life. But you know what's interesting to me is that the owners, this was really a big sacrifice for the owners of the lamb. And here's why. If you think about during that time, you think about what the nation of Israel, uh, they were still in Egypt, so they're still enslaved. Slaves don't have many possessions. Slaves don't, slaves don't have a lot, and yet they gave up their lamb. Why'd they give up their lamb? They gave up their lamb for life. That lamb was a sacrifice. Not only was it a sacrifice, the lamb sacrificing, sacrificing their own life, but it was the owner sacrificing his lamb. When I think about Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we need to remember this, that it's not uh, just as it wasn't, a sac it wasn't just a sacrifice for the lamb, but for the owner, when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just a sacrifice for Jesus, it was a sacrifice for God. There was a lot of sacrificial steps taken when Jesus went to the cross. I want you to think very quickly with me just about some of the sacrifices that was made. Of course, we look at the life of Jesus, that he died on the cross, giving his life, sacrificing his life. Isaiah wrote it this way in Isaiah 53, 7. He said, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he speaketh, so he openeth not his mouth. Uh, Jesus literally was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. He gave his life completely sacrificially. This was nothing. Of course, Jesus said, I give my life. No man taketh it from me. I lay it down and I will take it up again. Peter wrote this about Jesus and the sacrifice. Jesus, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself unto him that judgeth righteously. When Peter spoke of that sacrifice, he's saying, hey, he suffered, but he threatened not. He was the one who gave up. He was the one who sacrificed. But I want you to think about this. When Christ went to the cross, it wasn't just a sacrifice for him. It was a sacrifice for God. Here's how we know this. On the cross, what are the words, some of the words that Jesus said, if you'll remember, Matthew 27, 46 helps us. It says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, 
why hast thou forsaken me? <clears throat> this is something that really, um, I, I'll be very honest with you. I do not believe any theologian, any pastor, any scholar, I don't believe any human being can, can truly explain this verse. You say, pastor, why is that? Here's what happened on the cross. We know that in the ninth hour that Jesus, the Bible tells us that between the sixth hour and the ninth hour that the world became black as dark or, or black as night. And we know what took place. Uh, the Bible tells us that all of our sin, all of the sin of all of humanity was placed on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, God in the flesh, the son of God, all of the sin of the world is put on him. Okay, <clears throat> the Bible also tells us this though. It tells us that God cannot coexist with sin. Okay, so remember that. God cannot coexist with sin, but on the cross, Jesus became sin for us. So it says in Corinthians, we'll see the verse in a minute. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so on the cross, Jesus became sin. Jesus who is God became sin but God cannot coexist with sin. Here's what happened that no one can explain and I don't, believe we, I don't believe we ever will be and I don't think we need to dig for an explanation. Here's what happened. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the world went dark. Literally, God, the Father, turned himself from God the Son. The Godhead, and again, I'm telling you something that I can't explain. So you can come up afterwards and be like, well, what did you think about that? I'm gonna say, I don't know. Ask my dad, he's smarter. And he'll say, I don't know. The Godhead literally in that moment split. And God in the, Jesus Christ in the flesh I don't, believe, I don't believe he lost his deity. I, again, I can't explain it. But God literally for just that moment is separated. Hence, you have Jesus asking the question, why, God the Father, why have, you, why have you forsaken me? Why have you separated from me? The whole reason was because of our sin. We're gonna see the cost of sin in just a second and that's gonna be our, our next point we'll see in just a moment. But what I'm getting at is the sacrifice of Jesus, it was not just a sacrifice of Christ giving up his life, it was God the Father sacrificing his son. I'll never forget the illustration my dad used to give when I was just a, a little boy and, uh, and Dan, you might remember this, but he would get up and he'd be preaching the gospel and on bigger days he would use the illustration of a father who operated a drawbridge. And it all, even when I was a kid, this brought me to tears of a father who would operate a drawbridge and one day he took his son to work and that drawbridge was up and as that father had that drawbridge up one day, his son was playing and he looked out and his son was caught in the gears of the drawbridge. But he also saw about a mile away 
a train coming. And he knew that if he left that drawbridge up, the train, thousands of passengers would die. But if he put the drawbridge down, his son would die. And my dad would talk up the illustration and then he would say with love in his eyes, that father reached for that lever and put the drawbridge down. And then he would bring it down and just say, that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and I. Is when Jesus was on the cross, that was God looking at his son and with love in his eyes, he put the drawbridge down. Why? To save millions of lives. Listen, when you and I think of the sacrifice, or excuse me, when we think of the Passover, you know what we should think of? Think of the sacrifice. Not just the sacrifice of Jesus Christ giving up his earthly life, but of God the Father giving up his son. And what, a, what an incredible sacrifice we think of. When we think of the Passover, we should think not only of Christ's sacrifice, but secondly, the cost of sin. The cost of sin. <coughs> All throughout the Passover, there's so much symbolism to remind Israel of how much God hates sin. One of the biggest things was that they are to partake of the lamb and go through the entire process. If you go read Exodus 11 and all of 12, you'll find that the children of Israel are supposed to go through the entire process without any leaven in the house. The leaven is not supposed to be in the house at all, not to be around them, not to be in their system. It's not to be there. If it is, then that household needs to stop, get it out, and start the process over again because the entire thing was leaven in Scripture represents sin, and God was trying to help them understand, I want sin out of your life. Sin is what hurts you. You go and we're in this book of Judges on Sunday mornings, we're gonna see the children of Israel, they just keep repeating sin and that, that uh, way of life, it just keeps getting them in trouble, uh, not only with the Lord, but in their just the consequent, natural consequences of sin. And so when God inst instituted the uh, Passover, he's trying to help Israel understand, get out of your, get your sin gone. I'm getting you out of Israel, Israel's a, or out of Egypt. Egypt's a picture of the world. And I'm trying to get that sin gone from your life. And um, oftentimes we have to understand that sin, every time it has a price to pay. Leaven in scripture is that picture of sin. It's, it's uh, small, but it's powerful. It works secretly. It puffs up. Uh, the dough and it spreads out and sin in the life of a person is like a piece of yeast that it defiles the entire loaf. It, it uh, affects the entire loaf. It's like a cancer that needs to be treated. Well, the whole Passover, God was using it as a picture to help the children of Israel understand separation from sin that needs to take place. When I look at the Passover, I want to remember the cost of sin. When we look at the cross, we remember the cost of sin because what took Jesus to the cross? Sin. The old adage, sin took him to the cross, love kept him on the cross. It's your sin and my sin that what Jesus Christ, when he was dying, he was dying for our sin. First uh, Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says this, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain or sinful conversation or lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, just as the Passover shows the cost of our sin, it points us to the cross, which shows us the cost of our sin. That sin, it costs the Savior 
Savior his life. It cost him his blood. We know in scripture that without the shedding of blood, uh, that's that verse in Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9.25, I think, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So if Jesus hadn't died, our sin wouldn't be able to be paid for. We would still be stuck in those sacrifices and doing that, but we're not stuck there anymore. Why? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, because he gave his life for us. Man, that, that's a costly gift. Our sin, it took him to the cross. That verse I referenced a moment ago, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. So all of our sin was put on him, and this is one of the reasons that we shouldn't want to continue in sin because sin has a price. That's exactly what put him on the cross. And so when I think of the Passover, I wanna think of the sacrifice that Jesus made. I wanna think of Christ's sacrifice, but I also wanna think of the, the cost of sin. But I think lastly tonight, what we should always think about when we think about the Passover, and this is what the Lord said in the New Testament, is we should think about Christ, excuse me, we should think about the coming Savior. Think about the coming Savior. When the Lord started the Passover for the Jews, the Passover time for the, for the Jews was a time to look back on deliverance from Egypt and look forward to the coming Messiah. That's what, that's what the, the, uh, the word of God tells us in the book of Exodus, specifically Exodus 12 verses 14 uh, through I think 21 or something like that. And so the Lord said, I want you to do this because it's gonna show that I brought you out of Egypt Question, were they out of Egypt yet? No, they weren't. But God was telling them, I'm taking you out of Egypt and this is going to show you that I can deliver. It's gonna show you, you're gonna look, you're gonna look back on deliverance from Egypt, but also the, the uh, institution of the Passover was to look forward to the coming Messiah. Okay, but when you and I look at the Passover, we partake of the Lord's table at our church, we partake of the Lord's table. Usually we do it around April and around Thanksgiving. But when we do that, are we looking back on Egypt and looking forward to the coming of the Messiah for the first time? No, we're not. We're not. What are we looking back on? Well, here's what Jesus said. If you were to take your Bible and you were to go to Matthew 27 or to, you don't need to turn there, Matthew, uh, excuse me, Matthew 20. Five. Man, I thought I wrote it down. Anyway, you have John, you have John 13, Luke 22, um, Matthew 26, and, uh, and Mark 14, I think, are all the places where Jesus instituted the Lord's table. Here's how Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 11:26. 26, Jesus seen, as often as Jesus said this, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do sure the, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So for a believer, when we partake of the Lord's table or when we think about the Passover, what are we supposed to be looking back on? Well, we're looking back on the Lord's death. That's what that says. You show the Lord's death. Well, what are we showing about the Lord's death? The Lord's death, just like they were looking back on deliverance from Egypt, the Lord's death looks back on our deliverance from sin, right? And we're now not looking forward to the coming of a new Messiah. We're looking forward to the coming of the Savior the one who, the, the Messiah who has already come. You know what, when I think about the Lord's table and when I think about uh, uh, the Passover, man, one of the biggest things that I try to state every time we, we partake of the Lord's table or even talk about it 
is we're not looking at the first coming of the Messiah. Man, we're, we're doing this until he comes back to receive us to himself. Man, what an exciting thing to look forward to. Talked a few weeks ago in our Consume series about a consumed Christian look, looks, looks to heaven. Man, when I'm loving God, I'm looking forward to spending time with him. When I think about the Passover, think about the Lord's table, man, that'll give me a little bit of excitement to wanna see him, wanna look forward to that. The Passover, it's a great picture of Christ. Why? Because everything about it points to Jesus. Everything about the Passover points to Christ. One man summarized it this way. He said, this one figure preaches the whole doctrine of the gospel. Talking about the Passover, the story of the Passover preaches Jesus completely. So when I look at the Passover, I don't wanna see, oh, well, that's a time in nation Israel's history. It was the 10th plague. It was this, it was that. I don't wanna see all that. I wanna see Jesus Christ. Oh, I can see the circumstances of it, but the circumstances, you know what they do? They point to Christ. Now, what a great truth. Isn't it awesome when you can look in the Bible and see how it just points to him? Every single, every single part of, of the Passover is a different area that shows us Jesus. And so tonight I want us to wrap up the whole series by being challenged with two things. Number one, regarding the Passover. I want us to be challenged maybe with a thought like this. So we might pray and ask the Lord, God, help me. Help me to never forget what you did for me. That's the sacrifice. Help me to never forget that you gave your life and God, that you gave your son. Lord, help me to allow your death to remind me of the price you paid for sin. There's that cost for sin. And then Lord, help me to continually look forward to you coming again. Man, when I think about the Passover, God, thank you for the sacrifice. God, help me to remember that sin cost, but help me to look forward to the coming Savior. But then with this whole series, with all of it, my challenge for us through the entire Pictures of Christ series is that we would choose every day to be a picture of Christ. When we look in the Old Testament, all those Old Testament figures and symbols and Noah's Ark and the, uh, the tabernacle and the pillar of fire and cloud and, and uh, the, uh, the instruments of the, within the temple and then you have Noah and Moses and Joshua and M Methuselah and, and the high priest and Melchizedek and you have all these different things that point to Christ. I wonder who is our life pointing to? Here's how Paul said it in Colossians chapter one. We preached the series last year. Colossians 1, 23 through 29, we'll read this and be done. He said, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is manifest or made known to and in his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the, the Gentiles, which is Christ in you the hope of glory, 
whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. I don't have time to really dissect this passage, but Paul is simply saying this. Hey, listen, the gospel is a great mystery that people look at and they wonder, what does that mean? But the mystery now the gospel, it's Christ in you. You are the key. When I look at this and I think about our whole series of pictures of Christ, I look at a number of people in the Old Testament and their life was just simply a picture of, of the Lord and I would hope that we would just determine to be a picture of Christ everywhere we go. Lord, help me to be like those Old Testament characters. Help me to just show you they pointed to the coming Christ. We live now to point back at the Christ who came, the Savior of the world. And so let's make a decision tonight. God, help me this weekend. Just help me Friday. Lord, today's Thursday. Help me tomorrow. Help me tomorrow to be a picture of you to people around me. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit Moses Lake Baptist Church.